The Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Rob McConnell's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the Exxon Radio Show or endorsed in any manner by Rob McConnell, Relmar McConnell Media Company, the Exxon Broadcast Network, its affiliated networks, stations, employees, or advertisers. Welcome to the X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. And welcome back, everyone. My guest this hour is Art Keller. And uh, you know what? Many Americans, especially those who remember the carefully scripted regime propaganda Death to America rallies, remember them, would be shocked to learn that there is a surprising amount of pro-U.S. sentiment among Iranians. In fact, Exxon Nation, according to Art Keller, who is a former CIA operative, he's an author as well, um, many Iranians genuinely like Americans and are slowly turning against the Iranian government. Now, Art Keller spent a number of years working as a CIA operative in the division responsible for searching for black market nuclear weapons. During that time, he became better acquainted with the people of Iran and the country as a whole. He believes that a war with Iran, the country as a whole, um, you know, wouldn't be a very good idea. In fact, he believes that a war with Iran would be a big mistake and that if we could be patient with the country, it'll self-destruct on its own accord. Joining me now is Art Keller. And Art, welcome to the X-Zone. Glad to be here. Uh, you know, Art, there seems to be a lot of, what is it, misunderstanding about the Iranian people, the country of Iran, the Muslims. Uh, you know, there are so many people who still believe that the Muslims... Uh, as a whole, we're responsible for 9-11, and then, yet, there's those who believe it was the American government that caused 9-11. So, you know, where do you go with this? But a as someone in the know, I'm talking about you as a CIA operative who, who worked in the area, worked with the people, talked to the people, got to know the people. What is it about our misunderstanding about them that leads the majority of people to believe that they're terrorists? Well, if we're talking about Iran in particular here, um, you know, the people people do remember those Death to America rallies mm -hmm. 30 years ago, and, and no one has really updated the image. And, and, you know, not a whole lot of people pay attention to the fact that when 9-11 happened, there was rejoicing in much of the Middle East. But you know what? In Iran, they held candlelight vigils That's for right. us. Yeah. A lot of people would be shocked to to, look, to know that. And it's like we're on the, on the edge of war with, with people. But, you know, um, there's, there's a joke that the third biggest uh, Iranian city is Los Angeles for how many Iranians are there. So everyone living there, they have relatives, they have friends. You know, it's hard for them to be against America when they have so many relatives who are living the good life in America and telling them, boy, wouldn't it be nice if your country was like this? Exactly. <laughs> and, and, and kind of combat, combating regime propaganda, not intentionally, but in a personal way, saying, you know what, it's, it's nice living here, and, and Americans are not against us. And, and 
that rubs off, and they're not, uh, in turn, they're not uh, against, you know, the West. Now, their government, that's a different thing. But the Iranian people, by and large, you know, they're, they're like everyone else. They want, they want jobs, and, and, uh, and they're not getting them. <laughs> and they want a better life for their families, for their loved ones. And they look to the land of hope and glory for that, as so many others have done over the, under, uh, over the years that America has, has opened its arm to, to, the, uh, to the suppressed and to those who are looking for a better life. Yeah, America and, and Canada both. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the rough the rough count that I have is there is about a million uh, Iranian Americans, uh, Iranian uh, Canadian citizens, yeah. and then uh, Iranian expats in North America. And I think most people don't know that there are quite that many. <laughs> and another thing that a lot of people may not know is that they're all hardworking members of society, contributing to society. And oh, they're, yeah. they're just not here for the free ride. No, no, they're definitely not. Uh, and, and like, um, you know, not to, not to do a stereotype, but it mm-hmm. is more of a positive stereotype in the same way that, you know, you see Indians clustering in the medical profession and in IT professions and yeah. other professions. They tend to be highly educated and um, highly productive. That is so true. Art, you and I have to take a two-minute commercial break. Please stand by. Great having you with us, and congratulations on your new book. We're going to be talking about that on the other side of this break. ExoNation, Art Keller is a former CIA case officer in the counter-proliferation division of the CIA. His website is www.holostrength.com, and we'll be back on the other side of this two-minute break. Don't go away. Take a step back in time and discover old Florida cuisine at Marsh Landing Restaurant in Felsmere. Enjoy delicacies such as frog legs, gator tail, catfish, and swamp cabbage, or enjoy the more traditional cuisine like hand-cut Angus steaks, ribs, and seafood. Join us for breakfast with a southern flair featuring sweet potato pancakes, biscuits and gravy, and much more. Planning a party? Marsh Landing's private dining room can accommodate groups from 8 to 80 people. While you're visiting, enjoy the historic pictures, artifacts, and stories that line the walls. Marsh Landing is truly a unique experience. Marsh Landing Restaurant, 44 North Broadway in historic Felsmere, or visit marshlandingrestaurant.com. Marsh Landing, old Florida cuisine at its best. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the X-Zone Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere. 24-7-365. ExoNation, my guest this hour is Art Keller. He's a former CIA case officer in charge of Counter-Proliferation Division. The part of the CIA charged with spying on and sabotaging 
Iran's nuclear program. He's done commentary for CNN, CBS, the News Hour on PBS, and the National Geographic Channel. He's also the author of a just released spy novel, espionage thriller, about the CIA and Iran, entitled Hollow Strength. And uh, welcome back again, Art. Uh, Thanks. You know, uh, the the U.S., our allies, and and Iran are meeting in Moscow soon to talk about Iran's nuclear program. Now, what are they hoping to get at at this meeting, and and what is Iran hoping to get out of it? Well, you know, I have to say, uh, it looks like Iran is just hoping to get a little bit more time. Um, They're negotiating tactics and, and looked at even generously seem to be all about uh, delaying because they keep on bringing up the same objections, saying that they will, uh, you know, make some progress. Most most recently they've said, okay, we'll grant access to a particular facility, and then they go back on it. So in the case of Iran, I think they're just hoping to have a little bit of room to maneuver. The U.S. wants some pretty specific things. Um, the U.S. and uh, I should say the, the, the EU3, what's, what's known as the P5 plus one, which is the, the permanent five members of the Security Council plus uh, Germany in this case. So the P5 plus one would like to see Iran's uh, uranium enrichment level down to 5% at a minimum. Ideally, they'd want it to go to zero. They'd want Iran to stop enriching, but that's probably not going to happen. So more realistically, they're, they're probably trying to see it down. And the reason that they want it down is because the closer you get to 90% enrichment, mm-hmm. the closer you are to having a nuclear weapon. So they're trying to coax Iran away from where they're at now is about 27%. And so... Um, the bigger amount of enriched uranium that you have, um, the quicker it is to get to that bomb. So if you, if they were, for instance, able to uh, kick out all the inspectors tomorrow, then if they had a big heap of 27% enriched uranium, um, it would be a relatively quick process to get some up to 90% and have a bomb. And so that is what the Western countries, um, to, to use a term loosely, are hoping to avoid. You know, it's very dicey between Israel and Iran. And, uh, you know, do you think that there's there's going to be, a, a, or, or is, is that a, a powder keg just waiting to blow? It may well be. I mean, frankly, Israel is my biggest concern um, simply because they have a well-established pattern mm-hmm. of striking nuclear facilities. They hit Iraq's Osiric reactor in the 1980s, and just two years ago, they hit a nuclear facility in Syria that, that was being constructed with North Korean help. So they've pretty much established a pattern, and of course they've um, there have been assassinations in Iran of Iranian uh, scientists associated with the nuclear program, and knowing the, the intricacies of, you know, covert action as I do, I'm fairly certain that those were Israeli actions. So they have a, established a pattern of taking out things when they feel threatened, and clearly this feels threatening to them. Mm-hmm. Um, the scary part is that, at least for the U.S., um, the recent war games show that even if, if Israel strikes Iran and the U.S. has nothing to do with it, Iran is going to assume that we gave tacit approval and start shooting at us. 
so we could find ourselves in a war having fired no shots. Your new uh, novel entitled Hollow Strength is about the CIA and Iran, and how much of that is real art and how much of it is made up? Uh, you know, it's funny, uh, hearing your, your lead into your show about, you know, uh, truth and fiction, quite a bit of it, uh, you know, it's labeled as a fiction mm-hmm. book. But the beauty of not having to worry about, uh, you know, formal diplomatic relationships with Iran is that I could take people who are real people and put them in my book and have them doing things that they are rumored or accused to have done. So, you know, one of the bad guys in the book is a guy called Muhammad Ali Jafari, who's in command of their Revolutionary Guard Corps. And he's based on a guy called Muhammad Ali Jafari, who's in charge of their Revolutionary Guard Corps. Mm -hmm. And so the things that he does in the book, you know, arranging assassinations and explosions or other things, are stuff that he's all done in real life. So, you know, in that sense, um, there's quite a bit of truth in it. And, you know, for the parts of the characters who are working for the agency, um, a lot of that stuff is just based on my own personal experience, you know, frustrations with the bureaucracy and so forth. But, uh, you know, it made more sense to come out as a novel because the agency told me, frankly, you know what, it's a lot easier to get a novel approved through the clearance process than it is anything that is nonfiction. <laughs> I, I would imagine. So um, are we technically or hypothetically at war with Iran right now? Yeah, in a sense, we, we already are at a low level of hostilities now. It's just coming to the news. I'm sure your listeners have heard uh, in the past about Stuxnet mm-hmm. and more recently about something called Flame, which are computer tools uh, to attack various computer things. Now, the Stuxnet one was specifically targeting Iran's nuclear facilities uh, very precisely. Flame, a more recent... Um, tool was was kind of a, a more general spying thing. It was able to monitor computer usage in a variety of ways, but also to wipe out computer files. So, I mean, depending on, you know, how you want to dice the terms, we're, we're already, which is to say the U.S., uh, assuming that the U.S. did that, and, and that is definitely my assumption based on, you know, what I know, the U.S. is already at some level of, of hostility with Iran. <clears throat> And, of course, we already referenced, um, you know, Iranian scientists are already dying. And uh, what made the news a few months ago was that, you know, Iranians had initiated a plot to target Israeli diplomats in Thailand and and a few other places. So clearly they're not taking that line down. Now, what's interesting, uh, you know, and, and a little scary, having served in the U.S. Embassy abroad myself, is that, there is a recent story by a friend of mine called Joby Warwick, who writes for the Washington Post, talking about how Iran had um, had targeted U.S. diplomats in Azerbaijan, and uh, they had assassination plots kind of underway until the Supreme Leader recently called them off before the latest round of nuclear negotiations. But, um, you know, that just goes to show what I was talking about mm-hmm. before, about about. Uh, Iran assuming that if they're attacked, that we had, uh, you know, tacit approval of it. Clearly, they're thinking that we had something to do in those assassinations. We, By we, I mean the U.S. in general and probably the CIA in particular. 
um, even though, you know, from my own resources, I know that that is highly unlikely. That is more likely Israel and the Mossad doing that. But, uh, you know, from Iran's viewpoint, it just looks like their people are dying and they highly suspect us, so they're hitting back. So, you know, uh, when, when people start dying in bomb explosions, um, it, it could be a very slippery slope to actual military strikes. When we look at what ha- was happening in the uh, in, in the Middle East, we had the uprising in Egypt. We've had the uprising in Syria, Libya. Uh, we've got the entire Euro European marketplace going down the tubes with these bailouts. This is pointing to a very grim picture, which I would imagine as a person on the outside, is keeping the CIA very busy these days. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't want to be the person sitting in the, the office on the seventh floor, which is uh, where the, where the, the, uh, the big wigs of the mm-hmm. CIA sit. There would be a lot of headaches, sir. <laughs> I imagine so. Um, you, as, as, we, as we've talked about, you've worked for the CIA. What's the scariest thing that you've ever had to do as, as a spy? You know, it was kind of uh, it was kind of funny. It wasn't. It was it was a weird mission because it wasn't strictly what a spy normally does. I was assigned to the Iraq Survey Group, looking for the the mythical the WMD uh, after the U.S. had invaded Iraq, and mm-hmm. so we're on the ground trying to find those things that you know Saddam had gotten rid of. But um, you know, although we were there on a fruitless mission, that doesn't mean it wasn't at the time the most dangerous city in the world. So just getting on the road to travel, what was nicknamed, you know, the airport road mm-hmm. or route Irish or, or various names, but it's the 10-mile stretch between the airport zone and the green zone in central Baghdad. I was there in March 2004 when the violence really spiked, and it was clear that what, you know, Vice President Cheney said about it being, quote-unquote, regime dead-enders and just a few people, it was clear by how bad and how fast it was getting that that was not right. the correct assessment. That, in fact, it wasn't just a few regime dead-enders. It was a lot of very angry Iraqis. And in one day, we had an intelligence report that said, today we pulled 50 improvised explosive devices off of Route Irish, 5-0. And these were made of two 122-millimeter uh, artillery shells cast in concrete and wired together. So each one of those is a tank killer. And there were there were 50 in place in just one day. All right, stand now, by. You and I have to take a commercial break. Let's continue this on the other side of the news. Exonation Art Keller is our special guest this hour, former CIA case officer. He's got a brand new book out. It's called Hollow Strength. His website is www.hollowstrength.com. We'll be back on the other side of this commercial break with the news as the Exxon continues from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. I'm Rob McConnell. Art Keller's my guest. Don't go away. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. 
For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the X-Zone Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. Welcome back, everyone. Art Keller is my special guest. He's the author of Hollow Strength. His website is www.hollowstrength.com. Uh, sorry I had to cut you off there for the news, my friend. So if you could just finish that story. Sure, sure. So uh, as I said, you know, there was mm-hmm. there was the most dangerous stretch of Earth in the world, and we had to go down that on a routine basis. Now, what was particularly scary about that is, you know, there was a shortage of armored vehicles at the time, so they would send us anything they could get their hands on, including things which were incredibly high profile so sometimes we'd have to go down it in a canary yellow armored hummer and probably the only armored hummer canary yellow in color within a thousand miles and and trust me insurgents are watching for that kind of thing so you know you can tell anyone riding in an armored vehicle is a target because Mm -hmm. the the thinking is well they're in an armored a quarter million dollar vehicle they're worth blowing up so we would get into, you know, this yellow monstrosity and get ready to head, you know, just into town uh, to, to, to talk to scientists uh, to find out that they, in fact, had no WMD. But you would, you would be there at the, at the exit from the airport safe zone, and you would see, like, a 10-year-old boy releasing doves. And he's releasing doves to signal the insurgents down the road to get ready to trigger the bomb to take you out. Wow. So... That is a kind of thing that definitely gets into your head. And, you know, every day you would get up and you would see columns of smoke rising. And those columns of smoke were, um, you know, convoys that had been attacked and were on fire. And they they produced a, a particular greasy black smoke. And that was the paint and oil and all the other stuff burning. But, of course, tried not to think of the other things in those convoys that were burning. So just being in that environment... The, the very randomness of the nature, it had nothing to do with, you know, my particular spy mission at the time. It was just being in such a dangerous place really takes a toll on you mentally. I would imagine. So how long were you over in Iran for, Art? Uh, I was in Iraq for, for a relatively short period, about four months, mm-hmm. uh, split up into segments. So I did uh, a time in 2003, and then I went back again in 2004 for a few months. Here's a question. Maybe you can help answer this. Uh, why the oil-rich country is still struggling financially? Well, part of it is just simple mismanagement. Um, you know, it, it's not 
good at allocating their resources. And one mm-hmm. of the things that they've done kind of foolishly is they have huge subsidies. That's how they kind of um, get popular support is that they subsidize gas and a lot of other things really to an amount that they can't afford. You know, what is what is a, what is a gallon of gas in, you know, Canadian loonies or U.S. dollars? There it's 20 to 30 cents. Wow. So, uh, admittedly, they are they are an oil exporter, but they actually have to import that gas because they don't have gasoline uh, refining capability there mm-hmm. to the extent that they need. So they have to sell their oil to import refined gas to subsidize that. So that's just one thing. But of course, there's huge amounts of corruption, huge amounts of cronyism. So you know, there's never so much money that you can earn that if you spend it poorly. You can't run out. <laughs> and then, of course, there's everything piled on top of it, the sanctions that, that we, the NATO allies, and everyone else are putting on top of them to, you know, not to, not to mince words, to put in an economic stranglehold on them. That's not helping them either. You know, it, it, it seems that the government is doing what it can in order to get the Iranian people to distrust them. Isn't that counterproductive? Yeah, well, I, uh, honestly, I think that the people at the very top are, are con- concerned with one thing, mm-hmm. regime survival. And that doesn't necessarily mean having Iranian people happy. That means, for instance, funneling money to very uh, powerful people who, you know, control certain sectors of the economy and keeping them happy. So, you know, it's, it's, in a way, it's similar to what's going on in Syria. You know, they're very powerful commercial families, and as long as the Assad regime has those on its side, they're not worried about the rest of the, of the country. And, and it's, that's one of the reasons Iran is so terrified that Syria might fall, mm-hmm. because that would give a very uh, uh, terrifying example to the Iranian regime of what happens when people say, all right, we've had enough, we don't even care if the military is against us, we're taking you out. So is it possible that there could be peace in Iran and that this high tension that everybody is under can actually be uh, brought down to a, a workable level? Or is it just the way of the Iranian present government that they want nothing to do except do it their own way. They want to to bring forth nuclear weapons, and they don't give a damn what anybody else says. You know, um, I think that at some point they might like to actually get out of this corner that they've painted themselves mm-hmm. into on the nuclear program. But one of the reasons that they're having such a hard time in being honest is that they've lied so extensively that it would be a huge embarrassment and, and loss of faith to their own uh, to their own people for them to come out and you know grant access to these facilities and scientists that the West wants to talk to because when they do, um, you know it will become, become apparent that there was a military component to their program and they've just sworn up and down. And the Supreme Leader has personally said that, you know, not only is Iran not trying for nuclear weapons, but nuclear weapons are evil and against, um, you know, the Koran and whatnot. So for him to be caught in a public lie like that um, is something that they would probably just consider unacceptable. It would be a huge humiliation. 
and the supreme leader himself, he's not in an unassailable position. He's got a lot of enemies. Um, if you know about the internal politics in Iran, there are a lot of people with sharp knives ready for his back. So he can't really? afford to concede too much, because if he does, his enemies are going to come after him. Um, the supreme leader sounds like a very impressive title, but he's not actually the senior religious authority in Iran. He's the senior civil authority, and he has self-promoted and pretended that he's a senior religious authority. But in fact, the real grand ayatollahs in Iran are very angry with him um, kind of self-promoting himself to the title of grand ayatollah, because he hasn't done the study and the scholarship necessary from an Islamic jurist perspective to be a grand ayatollah. So as you can imagine, um, you know, if a parish priest suddenly declared himself pope, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of the religious establishment wouldn't like that. And that's essentially what he has done. So there are quite a few religious people in Iran who are actually far more on the side of, you know, the West, the U.S., Canada, NATO allies, than on the side of the regime. And most people don't know that. They see it as, as a monolithic block. But, but Iran may have painted itself in a corner where, you know, it's such a shaky regime that they're afraid to make any concessions because it, it leaves them vulnerable to their internal enemies. Is it possible that we might see civil disorder in Iran and that the Iranian uh, fuse might fizzle itself off based on the same type of, of um, throwover that we saw in Egypt a couple of years ago? Yeah, I, I mean, I think ongoing civil unrest is is basically a virtual certainty. Now, it's true that, you know, they did it in 2009, and the Iranian regime proved itself, you know, willing to ruthlessly suppress mm-hmm. that. But demographics are on the side of the Iranian people against the Iranian regime. Already, more than 70% of the people alive in Iran were born after the revolution. They have no stake in this current government, which is giving them levels of of unemployment at 35%. So, you know, imagine people in the U.S. aren't happy with unemployment at 8 or 9%. Imagine four or five times that and the level of discontent. So, you know, for for now, people are being held at bay by the level of violence, uh, uh, the threat of violence, but eventually, you know, the young generation will filter in into those uh, official positions in the military and in every other thing. And, uh, you know, like with the Soviet Union, the level of discontent will just rise so high that it's going to collapse under its own weight. But if we wait for it to happen on its own, Art, how long are we talking? You know, that's, that's anyone's guess. I mean, in the Soviet Union, it took 70 years. Mm-hmm. But that was also a very isolated regime. And, uh, you know, they did their best to uh, immunize themselves from outside forces by, you know, ruthlessly keeping Russians cut off. Iranians, the Iranian government, I should say, have tried to do that and failed. And so um, nothing stirs up discontent. And, and I remember this from my political science classes. Um, nothing stirs up discontent by, like, people seeing others living a prosperous existence and asking yourself, well, why can't we have that? <laughs> right. And so, you know, they get access now to all the Western media, all the Internet. And so I think the erosion process is going to go much faster. It's already been, you know, 30-plus years since the revolution. 
my guess, you know, it, it's, it's admittedly an educated guess, is five to ten years this regime is gone. Now, if Syria goes down in the next year or so, I would put that at the five-year range because that will then prove to the Iranians that if they fight hard enough, they can, they can take out the regime. Exonation, our guest this hour is Art Keller, a former CIA case officer in the Counter-Proliferation Division. He's the author of a brand new book entitled Hollow Strength. His website is www.hollowstrength.com. And, and Art, before I forget, where can people get a copy of your book? Okay. Well, your listeners should grab a pen okay. um, so that they can write down, first of all, for, for uh, Exon listeners, if they go to Hollow Strength, uh, there's a there's a Hollow Strength store, and there is a 20% discount for Exon listeners if they buy it. And they, when they're checking out, there's a coupon code. If you put in Exon, X-Z-O-N-E, they'll get 20% off for the next 48 hours. Wow. But, um, yeah, that's if they buy it direct from my book's website. However, it is available from Amazon.com. Now, I've double-checked this, and unfortunately, uh, I, I think it must be a peculiarity. It's not available on Amazon.ca, mm-hmm. uh, and that's a, a little weird, because when you put it on Amazon.com, that makes it available in many countries, but for some reason, not Canada. So you do have to go to the U.S. site, Amazon.com. It's also available from BarnesandNoble.com. Um, but yeah, you can get it in, uh, in an ebook from Amazon.com. You can get it uh, in hardback from Amazon.com, or you can get it in all versions from the book's website, uh, hollowstrength.com. And again, uh, if they put an X zone when checking out, they get 20% off. All right, let me, ask you, let me ask you a silly question. Why should people buy your book? Well, first of all, um, and, and maybe the most trivial reason, but it's it's a fun read. <laughs> you know, it's a good story. Um, but second of all, you know, it's it's a painless way to kind of understand the realities of what's going on, to appreciate, you know, how hard it is to do this this espionage business, and you know what drives people to volunteer to work for the CIA, for instance. And it's good to understand kind of what it's like on the front lines, because at least in the U.S., there's, there's been this disconnect of, you know, us deploying troops and spies and pretending like, you know, it's not a country at war. You know, in the U.S., most people, they live their lives and there's a disconnect. They, they know that there are wars going on intellectually, mm-hmm. but they don't have a visceral connection to that. And you know what? When we're deploying troops and spies and other things abroad and borrowing vast quantities of money to do that and, and stirring up tensions around the world, people should have a real appreciation for that. So, because, you know, it's, all, all those actions have consequences in, in a personal way. So just to have an appreciation for that, but also, you know, to read a good, interesting, fun spy story that... Uh, you know, it's a way to see what's inside the spy's life without actually having to join the CIA. <laughs> you know, a lot of people really don't know what the CIA is all about. We've got about a minute before I have to go to my commercial break. Can you encapsulate the CIA within a minute, or would you like to wait until we come back from the commercial? Well, I can I can do a short story in a minute. Uh, its main mission is stealing secrets. And to do that, you usually recruit spies 
Now, I can expand that definition if you'd like when we come back, but I am a blonde-haired, blue-eyed guy. So, obviously, I would stick out in Pakistan. Big time. I would stick out in Iran. <laughs> so, I'm not the person who can go and break into a nuclear facility. So, we need to find people who can do that, and that is what my job was. All right, stand by, Art. You and I have to take our final break for this hour. It's been great having you with us, and congratulations on your book, Hollow Strength. Exo Nation, Art Keller is our guest www.hollowstrength.com. And we'll be back on the other side of this commercial break as the Exxon continues live and around the world from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. My name is Rob McConnell. Don't go away. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Hi, I'm Larry Lawson, host of Paranormal Stakeout. With over 36 years in law enforcement, I have learned a few things. The most important is the proper gathering and preservation of evidence is vital to putting the bad guy behind bars. It's no different in the world of paranormal investigation. Whether it's the search for the afterlife, cryptozoology, UFOs, and extraterrestrials, how we gather the evidence, preserve that evidence, and present it to a jury of our peers will make the ultimate difference in proving the existence of worlds and entities that are beyond our imagination. Join me, Larry Lawson, every week on Paranormal Stakeout when, along with my guests, we'll take a journey to prove with indisputable evidence what man has struggled to believe for centuries. Go to xzbn.net for the broadcast schedule and check me out at paranormalstakeout.com. Exonation Art Keller is our special guest. He's the author of Hollow Strength. His website is www.hollowstrength.com. First of all, Art, I want to thank you so much for joining us. Continued success. And uh, are you going to have a sequel to Hollow Strength? Well, I have one half written in my head. I could give you a teaser, but that would kind of spoil it for people who haven't read the book first because it builds on the first one. So what we'll do is we'll have you back on the show when your second book comes out. Sounds great. Now, now we were talking about the CIA before, and uh, your job was recruiting agents? Or operatives? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, technically speaking, I mean, sometimes you do actually do some of the movie stuff. I mean, I have participated in, uh, you know, an operation to get inside a building and, mm-hmm. and steal computers, personally. But most of the time, what you're trying to do is figure out how to talk to a person who has access. Because, you know, secret programs, secret nuclear programs, secret chemical weapons programs, mm-hmm. Um, you know, access is extremely restricted, so you have to figure out how do I get to one of these people working in these programs and get them to start giving me information. That's the big challenge that a CIA case officer faces, because most of those people are ringed with security by their own government, so getting to those people is extremely challenging. You just can't walk up to them on the street and say, I'm from the CIA, here's a briefcase of a million dollars, would you like to give us some information? Right. It takes a, a lot of planning and effort 
And, uh, you know, if those people are ever discovered, they're thrown into prison or executed. So you, it, it takes an incredible amount of caution and diligence to, to keep them safe as well. But what happens if you're caught trying to recruit a citizen of another country? Well, we try to, to do that operation usually in a second country. I mean, it, it's, you never hear of a CIA trying to recruit someone in Russia right. or in North Korea. What you do is you recruit them in a third country and send them back in. Because, yeah, just it's, it's too dangerous trying to do that uh, firsthand recruiting operation in Iran. So, I mean, for Iran, an example, what you want to do is find someone who can travel to Dubai, which is where so much Iranian business is conducted. That's where you meet with them. That's where you recruit them. And then you turn them around and send them back in. We've got about a minute and a half left. What, would, what message would you like to leave with the Exxon Nation tonight, Art? Well, uh, you know, first of all, if they'd like to understand stuff about Iran better, uh, buy my book, one, because, you know, it's an entertaining yeah. story. But two, I actually spent about 20 pages in a nonfiction afterward explaining a lot of the politics and what's going on. It's, most of this stuff has appeared in a, an article for Foreign Policy magazine, but I excerpt it and make it a little bit easier to read, but to understand why it's not necessary for us to go to war with Iran. Uh, you know, I, I want people to know that so that as, as, as we get closer to war, they can advocate to their own politicians saying, you know, I don't think this is necessary. I don't think it's right right now. Um, bad as it is that the prospect of Iran having a nuclear mm-hmm. weapon, there's there are ways to deal with that that don't involve uh, Tomahawk cruise missiles. Uh, Art, we've ran also, out of time, Art. I, I hate to do this, but we've ran out of time. I want to thank you so much. We're going to have to get you back on the show to talk more about uh, your exploits with the CIA. And uh, until then, take care of yourself. And congratulations on a great book. Hollow Strength is the name of the book, XO Nation. It's available at www.hollowstrength.com. Art Keller has been my guest. We'll be back on the other side of this commercial break with the news at six and a half minutes past as the XO continues from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away. <laughs> 